This is Bloomberg, the first word for this Friday, May 27, 2016. Coming up this hour. Oil is down today with Brent crude falling back below $50 a barrel as world equity markets are mixed. A meeting of G7 leaders wrapped up in Japan. Among the issues discussed, the looming threat of a Brexit and the need for a global fiscal policy. And we look ahead to U.S. GDP numbers out today at 8.30 Wall Street time. President Obama is wrapping up his visit to Japan. Plus, could a debate between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders become a reality? I'm Michael Barr. Those stories and more straight ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Yankee bats were quiet in a loss to Toronto. Golden State stays alive, trimming Oklahoma City's series lead to 3-2. The Pittsburgh Penguins advance to the Stanley Cup final. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg The First Word. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1200 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on Bloomberg.com and via the Radio Plus mobile app. Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow. I'm Bob Moon. Bloomberg The First Word is brought to you by Bentley University. What do rebooting America's oldest ski shop and crunching numbers at Vistaprint have in common? An MBA from Bentley University that prepares graduates to innovate and lead. Because business is everywhere. Prepare here. And it's 5.01 on Wall Street. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. And U.S. stock index futures, they are little change this morning. NASDAQ futures are higher, up five points. The DAX in Germany is down two-tenths percent. CAC in Paris down three-tenths percent. And the FT100 down a tenth of a percent. Nikkei 225 in Japan gained four-tenths percent. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong up nine-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury is up two-thirty seconds. The yield 1.82 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.87 NYMEX crude oil down 1% or 47 cents to 49.01 a barrel. COMEX gold is little changed, up less than a tenth of a percent or 90 cents to 12.23.60 an ounce. The euro, $1.1177. The yen, 109.73. A meeting of G7 leaders ended today in central Japan, despite Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's warning of looming global crisis on par with the 2008 Lehman collapse. He was not able to get his fellow world leaders to buy in. For more now, we go to Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann in Isushima, Japan. Yvonne. The G7 nations didn't really buy this warning about a Lehman crisis. They failed to get that language into the policy communique. And as Naira was mentioning, uh, it was about the resilience of these economies that they could avoid falling into a crisis. But even after the fact, G- G7 leaders, you know, continue to hear from Shinzo Abe about this crisis concerns. He said global markets are wavering. There's a prolonged slowdown in demand, and emerging economies pose the biggest concern. He says the clouds are casted over these developing nations. Now, in terms of a coordinated response, they did agree that it's going to be a policy mix of all of the above, monetary, fiscal, and structural reforms. When it came to each individual nation, however, they said it had to be according to each country's conditions. So still not that one prescription on growth, but uh, FX policy also got a brief mention, reiterating what we heard from Sendai last week, that excessive disorderly moves uh, are, have a bad impact on the economy and that we shouldn't see nations uh, going through this currency devaluation. 
Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann in Ishishima, Japan, thanks Yvonne. Prime Minister Abe also says he is getting closer to making a decision on a proposed sales tax increase. Abe says he'll make the decision before an upper house election this summer whether to go ahead with the planned hike next April. This comes a day after the Prime Minister warned his fellow group of seven leaders that the global economy could be facing another Lehman-style crisis. Another issue addressed by G7 leaders was the prospect of a Brexit. A final policy declaration said a decision to leave the EU would pose a, quote, serious threat to global growth. Prime Minister David Cameron, in a speech following the meeting, doubled down on support for a Remain vote. I've never been a closet Brexiteer. Uh, I'm absolutely passionate about getting the right result, getting this uh, reform in Europe and remaining part of it. It's in Britain's national interest. That's what it is all about. Prime Minister David Cameron speaking in Japan. Meantime, in Britain, the Treasury warns that a decision could leave, uh, could cause pensioners to lose as much as $440 billion in assets if they vote to leave. Philips Lighting shares jumped in their trading debut after Dutch parent company Royal Philips raised $839 million in an initial public offering of the world's biggest lighting business. Philips Lighting CEO Eric Rondelot, speaking on Bloomberg Television, said that investors should think of his company as a quality investment. Philips Lighting is a company that has a very strong leadership in the lighting industry. You know, we are more than twice bigger uh, our next competitor, and we have distinctive competitive advantages that make the investment case solid. That's Philips Lighting CEO Eric Rondola speaking on Bloomberg Television, and shares of the company are up more than 8% in Amsterdam this morning. The Commerce Department issues data on first quarter economic growth. Economists now forecast GDP rose at a 0.9% rate in the first quarter. That would be a bit more than the government's initial report. Bloomberg's Vinidel Judice has a preview from the First Word Desk. Bloomberg Intelligence says consumer spending could contribute to an upward revision. Consumer spending accounts for about two-thirds of economic activity. Construction spending could also provide a boost. In its initial estimate, the Commerce Department said first quarter GDP rose just 0.5% at an annual rate, the weakest showing since early 2014. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinit Dale Judice, Bloomberg Radio. Federal Reserve Governor Jerome Powell, speaking at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington, said that the U.S. economy has made substantial progress and suggested he would support a rate hike in the near future. The incoming data continues to support those expectations. I would see it as appropriate to continue to gradually raise the federal funds rate. Depending on the incoming data and the evolving risks, another rate increase may be appropriate fairly soon. As Federal Reserve Governor Jerome Powell and Fed Chair Janet Yellen will be speaking at Harvard later today, many view it as her last chance to prepare the markets for a June rate increase. We'll bring you that speech live at 1.15 p.m. Wall Street time here on Bloomberg Radio and on the Bloomberg Terminal using the function Live Go. Struggling Valley and Pharmaceuticals rejected a takeover bid this spring. According to the Wall Street Journal, Japan's Takeda Pharmaceutical and investment firm TPG made an approach but did not specify a firm price. Valiant has been trying to revive itself after its business model and drug pricing practices came under scrutiny. S&P E-mini futures this morning are unchanged. This is Bloomberg. 
And that brings us to 507 on Wall Street this hour. The first word is brought to you by BMW Mount Kisco. Visit BMWMountKisco.com. More now on President Obama's Day in Japan. Let's bring in Michael Barr. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Bob. President Barack Obama is wrapping up his Japan trip with a visit to Hiroshima today, becoming the first U.S. president to walk the ground where about 140,000 people died from a U.S. atomic bomb during World War II. The president participated in a quiet remembrance, including a wreath-laying ceremony. The president reiterated his hope for a world without nuclear weapons. Could a debate between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders become a reality? Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports the two presidential candidates have been talking about it. With the backdrop of Associated Press tracker poll saying that Trump has enough delegates for the nomination and that California is basically a dead heat on the Democratic side, Trump and Sanders sound serious. I'd love to debate them, but I want a lot of money to be put up for charity. So what we'll do is if we can raise for maybe women's health issues or something. I'm very excited about it. And I think we're going to have to rent out the largest stadium you have here in California. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reporting Trump has hit the number of delegates needed to clinch the Republican nomination and avoid a contested convention in Cleveland. Democratic presidential frontrunner Hillary Clinton campaigned in San Francisco last night. Clinton continued to hammer Donald Trump over refusing to disclose his tax returns. Clinton says we've seen just two years of Trump's tax returns. Those two years showed something really interesting. It showed he had not paid a penny in federal income tax. Clinton says she and her husband have disclosed 33 years of their returns. Hillary Clinton was so attached to her BlackBerry when she was Secretary of State, she was sometimes spotted in the hallway outside her office using the device. That's according to a State Department official. Blackberries and iPhones are not allowed in the Secretary's office suite. The statement was made by State Department official Louis Lukens in a deposition released by Judicial Watch. French President Francois Hollande says he will not back down from changes in his country's labor law. Opposition to the labor law in France has led to strikes. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Bob? Appreciate it, Michael. That brings us to 509 on Wall Street. Time now for your Land Rover Parsippany, Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. And a happy Friday to you, John Stashauer. All right, thanks, Bob. Steph Curry struggled in Golden State's two lopsided losses at Oklahoma City. People wondered if he was still injured. The two-time MVP looked fine last night. 31 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 5 steals. Warriors stayed alive. 120 to 111 to cut the Thunder's lead to 3-2 as Curry goes back to OKC for Game 6 tomorrow. We didn't give ourselves any chance to, to be competitive in OKC. And tonight we finally showed a, 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 what we're capable of, and we have to you know, take that game and travel for Game 6. So you know, we're excited about that opportunity that we have in a, you know, another game to play. Clay Thompson had a 27 points. Kevin Durant had 40. And Russell Westbrook, 31 for the Thunder, who won those games 3 and 4 by 28 and 23 points. Mike D'Antoni, one of many former Knicks coaches, hired in Houston. Miami assistant David Fisdale hired in Memphis. The Rangers got a good look at how well the Pittsburgh Penguins were playing back in round one. Penguins finished the regular season winning 14 of 16. It has carried over. They won game seven from Tampa Bay. Two to one as Brian Russ scored twice in the second period to the Stanley Cup final. Pittsburgh versus San Jose. Game one Monday. The Yankees begin a 10-game road trip tonight at Tampa Bay. Coming off two losses that followed six straight wins. They managed just three singles off Jay Happ after a Starlin Castro home run in the first inning. Blue Jays 
beat Joe Girardi's team 3-1. to one. This is baseball. I mean, this is what happens. You, you know, you just can't let it carry over. We have an important road trip. We're going down to Tampa, you know, and I continually talk about winning series. Just win series on this road trip. Mets host the Dodgers tonight. They're a game behind Washington, who topped St. Louis 2-1. Bryce Harper hit an upper-deck home run. The Red Sox lost Colorado. Jackie Bradley Jr.'s hitting streak ended at 29. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. Thanks, John. As mentioned, we await GDP data at 8.30 this morning, Wall Street time, and we'll be talking about it in a moment with Neil Dutta, Renaissance Macro, head of U.S. Economics. S&P E-mini futures unchanged at this hour. Dow E-minis up a single point. This is Bloomberg. And the sports report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help you search. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com or 1-800-FIND-4WD. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Today we're watching for a report on first quarter gross domestic product out at 8.30 Wall Street time. Then at 10, it's consumer sentiment from the University of Michigan. Global equities are holding near a three-week high. The dollar is rising versus most peers before a speech by the head of the Federal Reserve. Oil falling uh, below $49 a barrel now, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. U.S. stock index futures, they are little changed. NASDAQ e-mini futures are higher. They're up a point, or uh, up five points, rather, or a tenth of a percent. The DAX in Germany is down two-tenths percent, so is the CAC in Paris. Ten-year Treasury up one thirty-second. The yield 1.82 percent. The yield on the two-year, 0.87 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.2 percent, or 61 cents, to $48.87. Seven cents a barrel. Comex gold little change down fifty cents to twelve twenty two thirty an ounce. The euro a dollar eleven seventy five. The yen one zero nine point six eight. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Karen. President Barack Obama visited Hiroshima's Peace Park, making him the first U.S. sitting president to visit the city where America dropped an atomic bomb in nineteen forty five. President Obama said that the visit is an opportunity to honor the memory of the 140,000 people lost. The chief investigator in the Egypt airplane crash that killed all 66 people on board last week says search teams in the Mediterranean had picked up a beacon believed to be from the aircraft. The lead investigator says this narrows down the search to a three-mile radius. In sports and Major League Baseball, the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays. The Nationals beat the Cardinals. The Orioles lost to the Astros. In the NBA Western Conference Finals, the Warriors lived to see another day. Golden State beat the Thunder. Oklahoma City still leads that series three games to two. In the NHL playoffs, the Penguins advance to face the Sharks in the finals. More on these and other stories at the bottom of the hour. Bob? Michael Barr, thanks very much. The U.S. economy probably expanded in the first quarter slightly more than previously estimated, according to the economists we've surveyed here at Bloomberg. The Commerce Department's report on gross domestic product due out at 8.30 this morning, Wall Street time, and we will, of course, have full coverage and analysis for you. A preview now as we're joined by Neil Dutta, head of U.S. economics for Renaissance Macro. Good morning, and thanks for being with us, Neil. Are you comfortable with economic growth? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
I mean, growth in the first quarter is probably going to be revised up modestly. Uh, growth in the second quarter appears to be running about two and a half to three percent. Um, you know, I think what's really important, uh, it's important to remember that the GDP numbers, um, are very volatile and what's been very stable has been the growth in employment. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's a much more reliable signal of activity. Uh, and, uh, the signal from the labor market is unambiguous. Uh, it's continued strength. Uh, we're generating about 175,000 to 200,000 jobs a month. Uh, that's putting uh, downward pressure on uh, labor market underutilization, and that's putting upward pressure on wages. And I think we'll see more of that as we go into the second half of the year. And what effect does all this have on that big question about uh, the Fed next month? Well, I don't think any of this is going to really save the Fed for June. Um, you know, I think, look, even if the first quarter number was a fluke, the Fed really can't know that until it sees more data. Uh, I think it was a fluke. Um, you know, we do have, as I said, stable measures of employment. Uh, even survey measures of activity have been reasonably good. Um, so, uh, and on top of that, you have the Brexit vote coming eight days later. That definitely has to uh, sort of enter into the Fed's calculus. So um, I think July is probably the earliest they go. Uh, my own sense is that Janet Yellen's speech uh, on the 6th of June is going to be important. Uh, I do think she's probably going to be somewhat more dovish uh, relative to some of the speakers that have come out of late, uh, as of late. Um, you know, remember, I mean, from her view, point of view, I don't think much has really changed since her speech in March. I mean, the markets have come up, but, uh, you know, part of that has been driven by the expectations of the Fed having been pushed out a little bit, at least up until recently. So, um, you have to kind of weigh that in your uh, in your forecasting. So, you know, I think that July is probably the earliest they go. I do think the Fed's getting ready to hike. I think hikes are likely this year. I just don't think they happen in June. So as for her remarks today, is she sort of straddling the data, sort of trying to uh, have, uh, you know, the best of both worlds at the moment? Uh, I think her speech today is, a, is, a, is, is more about sort of, uh, you know, um, celebrating her achievements uh, in life right at Harvard. Uh, I don't think it's actually about policy. Um, you know, I mean, look, if I'm... Can she avoid the, the topic? Right can, can she avoid the topic, though, Neil? Well, if she's asked a question about it, I think she'll say that things are getting better uh, and that we're getting closer to, to her expectations for rate hikes this year. Um, um, but, uh, you know, remember what she said before. Caution was especially warranted. Um, so, I mean, you have to ask yourself, if someone says caution is especially warranted, but they also probably think that we're going to raise rates twice this year, do they go? Uh, and, of course, this is, all, this is all forecast dependent. It's all data dependent. Um, but are they going to go at their first opportunity? Uh, I don't think that they would. So, um, you know, I, I think that by going in September, by waiting a little bit longer, it'll actually allow the Fed to go in more normal intervals, at least in the beginning of the uh, of the tightening process. It, it sounds like you're just dismissing all the hawkish talk that we've heard from uh, all the other Fed officials. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it seems kind of convoluted. I mean, you know, I, it almost to me feels like they're trying to manage the implied rate probabilities in the market. I mean, so uh, in some respects, if the market's pricing in less than a 10% chance of a June hike, that means policy is too loose. But if the market's pricing in a 30 or 40% chance, uh, you know, that means policy is better aligned. Um, you know, look, that, at the end of the day, that still means they don't go in June, right? Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Yellen is probably going to be somewhat more cautious. Um, you know, I thought the comments from uh, Governor Powell yesterday were kind of interesting, where he basically said that uh, we need to see very strong growth in the second quarter and going forward uh, to justify rate hikes, given how weak growth has been, uh, GDP growth at least, in the fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year. So, as I say, I mean, I think just from a data dependence framework, uh, you can make the argument the Fed should um, – should wait in June. They want to see a rebound in Q2. They want to see some of that extend into the third quarter. Neil, appreciate your take on this. Neil Dutta, head of U.S. economics for Renaissance Macro. And U.S. stock index futures are little changed at this hour. Treasury prices higher the yield on the 10-year at 1.82%. You're listening to Bloomberg, the first word on Bloomberg Radio. And the first word brought to you by New York Community Bank. Ask about their My Community Interest checking with free New York Community Bank online and mobile banking. Earn more, get more. Visit nycb.com for details. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg The First Word. And it's 530 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow. I'm Bob Moon. Bloomberg The First Word is brought to you by Vanek Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis. Target tax-exempt income by maturity and credit quality, all with low-cost ETFs. Visit Vanek.com slash muni. Vanek. Access the opportunities. And we're just about four hours away from the opening of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date in the news you need to know at this hour. A meeting of G7 leaders has concluded in Japan. World leaders tangled over how to push the global economy toward growth amid an array of risks, including geopolitical tensions, a slowdown in China, and Britain's potential exit from the European Union. The U.K. Treasury warns that an exit from the EU could cause British pensioners to lose as much as $440 billion in assets. The Treasury's latest analysis says a vote for Brexit risks fueling a rise in inflation, turmoil in financial markets, and a drop in asset prices. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is getting closer to making a decision on a proposed sales tax increase. Abe says he'll make the decision before an upper house election this summer whether to go ahead with a planned hike next April. Google has won a jury verdict that kills Oracle's claim to $9 billion slice of the search giant's Android phone business. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Oracle contended that Google needed a license to use its Java programming language to develop Android, the operating system, in 80% of the world's mobile devices. Jurors in San Francisco federal court rejected that argument and concluded Google made fair use of the code under copyright law. A decision against Google had the potential to give significantly more weight to software copyrights and to spur litigation to protect those added rights. Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. Hedge funds and banks are hoping to cash in on the uncertainty of the Brexit vote hours before the results are known. Two opinion polling companies say they've been approached by bankers looking for insights. The need for information is huge because there won't be any official exit poll once voting ends at 10 p.m. And it's unclear how soon early results will show a trend. And Janet Yellen speaks at Harvard today. Some view it as an opportunity to prime the markets for a June interest rate increase. You can hear that speech live on Bloomberg Radio today at 1.15 Wall Street time. 
And futures this morning, little change to higher. S&P E-mini futures up a point, Dow E-mini futures up 10, and NASDAQ E-mini futures, they're up 8. The DAX in Germany is little changed as well. Ten-year Treasury up 2.30 seconds, the yield 1.82%. NYMEX crude oil down 1.1% or 54 cents to $48.94 a barrel. COMEX gold little changed at 12.23.40 an ounce. This is Bloomberg, the first word. And Karen, we come to 5.33 on Wall Street. This hour of the first word is brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. A day for history in Japan. Michael Barr with that story and more. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Bob. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe says President Barack Obama's visit to Hiroshima will give a big boost to efforts to achieve a nuclear-free world. President Obama is the first U.S. president to stand on Hiroshima's hallowed ground where about 140,000 people were killed when the U.S. dropped an atomic bomb on the western Japanese city during World War II. 71 years ago, on a bright, cloudless morning, death fell from the sky and the world was changed. President Obama placed a wreath at the site. A debate between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Trump, though, is calling for a donation of at least $10 million to women's health causes. Several TV networks are not commenting on whether they'd agree to Trump's terms. Sanders, speaking to supporters in Ventura, California, says he'd want the biggest stadium possible for the debate. Environmentalists are concerned Donald Trump would give polluters a free pass. In his first energy policy speech, Trump told supporters in Bismarck, North Dakota, he would save industries threatened by Hillary Clinton's agenda. We're going to save the coal industry. We're going to save that coal industry. Believe me, we're going to save it. I love those people. Trump says the U.S. will be totally energy independent under his presidency. Hillary Clinton campaigned in San Francisco last night calling for sustainable energy sources. I want us to deploy a half a billion more solar panels by the end of my first term and enough clean energy to power every home in America by the end of the second term. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Bob? Michael, thanks very much. 535 on Wall Street. Time now for your Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Good morning to you, John Stashauer. Good morning, Bob. Until the other night, the Warriors had played 95 games and had never lost two in a row. They weren't going to lose three straight, though. Oklahoma City did take a one-point lead in the third quarter. That lead was brief, the only one of the night. Golden State won game five, 120 to 111. Steph Curry, 31 points, seven rebounds, six assists, five steals. Clay Thompson scored 27. Andrew Bogut gave them a lift with 15 points, 14 rebounds. And Draymond Green, who really struggled in the two losses at Oklahoma City, played much better as he expected the team to. The way everybody reacted to losing, the way everybody talked and felt, and, you know, going in the film this morning, you could just see everybody was up. And I knew then that everybody was ready to go and was going to bring that dog to the game. So 3-2 Thunder with Game 6 tomorrow at OKC, where the Warriors lost twice by a combined 52 points. Stanley Cup Final will be San Jose and Pittsburgh. Penguins, who in their history have lost five Game 7 home games, Won this one, 2-1 over Tampa Bay, completing the comeback from a 3-2 series deficit. All the scoring second period in a game with two rookie goalies, both Penguin goals by rookie Brian Rust. 
the second, 30 seconds after Jonathan Druin had tied it for the Lightning. Game one is Monday in Pittsburgh. Pitchers duel at the stadium. Toronto's J. Happ allowed only a Starlin Castro home run in the first inning. CC Sabathia gave up only two unearned runs, but the Blue Jays won three, three to one over Joe Girardi's Yanks. CC pitched great. Um, he pitched extremely well, and we weren't able to get him any runs and um, kept his pitch count down. He did everything he needed to do to win the game. We just didn't score. Alex Rodriguez 0 for 4 in his return from the disabled list. Carlos Beltran 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Yanks at Tampa Bay tonight start a 10-game road trip. The Mets host the Dodgers. With Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stanchel. John, thanks very much. Now 537 on Wall Street. Time for your T2 Computing Tri-State Business Report. Let's check in with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Happy Friday, Ed. Happy Friday, Bob. Shores of New York Real Estate Investment Trust fell 8% to 9 bucks, the biggest drop since the shares began trading more than two years ago. After analysts questioned whether its planned sale to JBG companies is in the best interest of investors, the announced reverse merger would create an $8.4 billion company with New York and Washington-area properties. New Jersey's legislature has approved a couple of bills that give Atlantic City about five months to straighten out its finances to avoid bankruptcy. If signed by Governor Chris Christie, the resort would get enough cash to operate for the rest of the year. If city officials don't come up with a five-year plan by then, there could be a state takeover. The Connecticut Bond Commission is expected to approve a $22 million loan and grant package to help Bridgewater Associates, one of the world's largest hedge funds, upgrade its facilities in the state. Republican legislative leaders have questioned why the fund should get money when cuts are being made to the new state budget. That's the T2 Computing Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Bob? Ed, thanks very much. The Brexit Vote. Coverage continues now on Bloomberg Radio. And voters in the U.K. head to the polls on June 23rd to decide whether or not Britain will remain in the European Union. Joining us now with the latest on that pivotal issue is Bloomberg Go and First Word Europe anchor Jonathan Farrow. Jonathan, good morning and more dire predictions today? Yeah, very much so. Good day to you, Bob. So the G7 traditionally warn about everything under the sun. They bracketed Brexit with terrorism and the refugee crisis as a threat of, quote, non-economic origin. What's critical here, though, Bob, is that actually Brexit wasn't a really a subject for discussion at the summit, but leaders wanted to show their support for the position of British Prime Minister David Cameron. And this is something that the Remain campaign have been able to really leverage. The views of large groups, organisations such as the OEC and the IMF and now the G7 to get behind their campaign and to warn the British electorate to stay in the European Union. And also, we had uh, some question about what this is going to mean for pensions. Yes, another warning from the Treasury, this time for pensioners. Turmoil in financial markets could cause, apparently, a drop in asset prices that could strip between £170 billion and £300 billion from the total assets held by those over 65. This was published late on Thursday, Bob, and this is critical because those of a certain age that could be more likely to go to the polls and vote to leave... Essentially, the message here is that if you do, there's going to be some economic and financial pain. Bloomberg's Jonathan Farrow, thanks. And you can get all the latest Brexit news on the Bloomberg terminal by typing B-R-E-X. Go. It's one of the biggest dilemmas facing currency managers, how to protect against the fallout from the U.K. leaving the European Union without losing money should it vote to remain. With the pound's volatility against the dollar at the highest in six years, some investors, including Unigestion and Aberdeen Asset Management, are buying options on the Swiss franc and Swedish krona. 
or using the euro as a proxy for sterling. Options that guard against future losses on the pound are the most expensive on record. Right now, the pound is trading down a tenth of one percent at a dollar forty-six fifty-one. The euro is trading down a tenth of a percent at a dollar eleven eighty-two. The yen is unchanged at this hour at one hundred nine seventy-one. This is Bloomberg. And your Tri-State Business Report was brought to you by T2 Computing, a new kind of IT solutions company for workflow, mobility, and infrastructure. Let them explain how their expertise can help you gain greater business value. Visit T2Computing.com for more information. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow and U.S. Stock Index Futures. They are a little change to higher this morning with S&P E-mini Futures up two points, Dow E-mini Futures up 20, and NASDAQ E-mini Futures up 10 and a half. The DAX in Germany is up a tenth of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.82 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.87 percent. NYMEX crude oil down nine-tenths percent or 44 cents at $49.04 a barrel. COMEX gold is down two-tenths percent or $1.80 to 12.20.90 announced the euro a dollar 1179 the yen 109.71 that's a bloomberg business flash now here's michael barr with more on what's going on around the world michael karen one retiree walking through hiroshima japan's peace memorial park says it is time for the u.s and japanese people to move forward without grudges president barack obama visited hiroshima today becoming the first u.s president to walk the ground where 140,000 people died from a U.S. atomic bomb decades ago. The Scripps National Spelling Bee has ended in a tie for the third year in a row. A 13-year-old and an 11-year-old were declared co-champions last night. After a roller coaster finish, each will receive a trophy and 45 grand in cash and prizes. In sports and Major League Baseball, the Yankees lost, the Nationals won, the Orioles lost. In the NBA Western Conference Finals, the Warriors live to see another day. Golden State beat the Thunder. Oklahoma City still leads that series three games to two. NHL playoffs, the Penguins advance to face the Sharks in the finals. More on these and other stories at the top of the hour. Karen? All right, thanks, Michael. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend. That means grilling season is upon us, and it looks like you'll be paying a little less for your hamburger. Americans planning to celebrate the Memorial Day weekend by firing up the grill will be pleasantly surprised at the grocery store. Ground beef prices um, in the most recent month we have data available fell to a two-year low, and so that's a good sign for consumers who are probably gearing up to grill burgers for uh, the upcoming Memorial Day season. Megan Durison wrote the story for Bloomberg News. In the past few years, consumers have been contending with record beef prices. That was a result of a decline in the U.S. cattle herd. It fell to the lowest since the 1950s after a multi-year drought that really perched pastures and sent grain costs soaring. Now grain costs have come down a lot, and Pastures have improved, so the cattle herd is expanding, and that means production is rising and beef costs, therefore, are falling. The decline in retail prices has also gotten the attention of the fast food chains. That's right. It's a beefy crunch burrito. Taco Bell, for example, last month brought back its beefy crunch burrito and the cheesy double beef burrito, both being sold for $1. Greg Creed, chief executive of Taco Bell parent company Yum Brands, commented on the decline in beef prices in an earnings call with investors last month. The good news is, obviously, Taco Bell is benefiting from the price of beef right now. 
Uh, and that's obviously why you're seeing in the marketplace a lot of value by both the burger chains and why Taco Bell can play, you know, an aggressive play in in, uh, in beef as well. But don't feel like you have to run out and stock up the freezer. Don Close is a Rabobank International Vice President of Food and Agribusiness Research specializing in animal protein. Given the decline in cattle prices, given the decline in wholesale beef prices, uh, we're certainly expecting to see additional easing of retail beef prices, uh, certainly for the, the remainder of this year, and, and that could last, in fact, uh, into, into next year as well. Alton Kahlo, analyst at Steiner Consulting Group, an economic and commodity trading advisor, agrees, but says there are still a few areas to watch. What's a little bit unknown is, first, what happens with grain prices, and if grain prices you know, remain at current levels, you know, that, again, just feeds into this uh, you know, supply increase. But at the same time, what happens with the U.S. dollar and the global economy? You know, a stronger global economy and a weaker dollar, you know, then could change a little bit the trajectory. But we're talking more about changes in the uh, trajectory and you know whether prices are going to go down, you know, more or less, rather than whether prices are, will, will stop going down and start going up. I think going down is probably going to be the name of the game for at least the next. Uh, year and a half, two years. If you don't eat meat, there's still a bargain to be had. Here again is Bloomberg's Megan Durison. Yeah, Bloomberg index that we have that tracks some uh, products that are often used in grilling, things like, uh, you know, ground beef, potato chips, ice cream. Uh, that also fell to the lowest, I believe, since August in April. Um, so that means that, you know, costs are falling here right ahead of the peak grilling season. I believe Memorial Day, July 4th, Father's Day are all big grilling days here in the U.S. So it's not just beef costs. Um, food costs across the board seem to be falling a bit, which is a good thing for consumers. So a little something for everyone here, Bob, and no reason to break the bank. Okay, steak and egg sounds good to me right about now. It's time for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, exploring legal issues in the news, brought to you by American Arbitration Association. International trade or business dispute resolved faster with the International Center for Dispute Resolution, the leader in alternative dispute resolution around the world, ICDR.org. Today, Bloomberg Law host June Grosso discussed a State Department report which says the former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's use of a private email system violated State Department rules and the Federal Records Act. I spoke to uh, Stephen Vladek, a professor at American University Washington College of Law, and David Deitch, a partner at Harris, St. Laurent, and Chaudhry. Steve, why don't you take us through what the Inspector General's report found? Sure. What the report basically found was that Secretary Clinton um, did not receive permission from any official entity within the State Department for use of a private email server, um, that in various cases her use of a private email server seemed to contravene at least the guidance that the State Department had previously issued with regard to handling of personal communications, um, and that although there were other precedents for senior State Department officials using private servers and private email accounts to communicate official business, um, that Secretary Clinton's actions um, seemed to go even beyond those precedents. So in that regard, I think it's, you know, fodder for Secretary Clinton's critics. I think it's important to stress what the report did not find, um, which is that any of the private emails um, included the kind of information that could possibly subject Secretary Clinton to criminal charges um, because, for example, maybe they contain classified information. The report found that there were three officials who used 
personal email accounts exclusively for day-to-day operations. So if they didn't tell her, how can they now say what they're saying? Well, the question of whether or not um, Secretary Clinton's actions were consistent with the the then-existing rules really is a question that is separate from her state of mind. What you're really talking about is, was there a reason why Secretary Clinton should have known at the time that the way she was proceeding with her uh, separate email server was against uh, department policy? And I think you're exactly right that there was a prevailing culture in the agency that I think is probably similar to many agencies during that period of time uh, that did not view or did not know how really to treat emails uh, in terms of federal record keeping. Steve, this is a report done by an inspector general. What is the inspector general of an agency? Yeah, I mean, so the inspector general of federal agencies is basically the watchdog or the ombudsperson for the agency. It's usually his or her job to supervise the compliance of agency officials with various federal laws. Um, Inspectors general are usually the ones who receive whistleblower complaints from agency employees and so on. And so when you get an inspector general report like this, um, it's the culmination of that agency's internal investigation into alleged breaches of its own procedures. And in this case, I think, you know, David has exactly right. Um, The report, I think, sort of tries to walk a very fine line between suggesting that Secretary Clinton's email habits were never authorized and were inconsistent with the guidance that that, that the State Department previously put out um, and resisting the conclusion that they were therefore illegal because of the confusion and lack of clarity surrounding the, the relevant email practices at the time. That's part of why the report concludes with a series of recommendations to avoid this situation from happening again in the future. And that is Stephen Vladek, a professor at American University, Washington College of Law, and David Deitch, a partner at Harris, St. Laurent, and Chaudhry, speaking to Bloomberg Law host June Grasso and Michael Best. You can listen to Bloomberg Law weekdays at 4.30 p.m. Wall Street time right here on Bloomberg Radio. Intuitive Surgical reached a settlement with one of two insurance providers over its Da Vinci Surgical robot. The insurance companies allege that the company failed to reveal more than 700, 700 injury claims when it applied for liability coverage. The accord also resolves a countersuit alleging Navigator's specialty insurance acted deceitfully and broke its contracts. The settlement is confidential and no details were released. And that's this morning's Bloomberg Law Brief. You can find more legal news at BloombergLaw.com and BloombergBNA.com. S&P E-mini futures up two points. Dow E-mini futures up 16. This is Bloomberg. This is the Bloomberg VNA Report. Legal, tax, regulatory, and business information. Here's Patrice Sikora. The Senate Judiciary Committee has delayed consideration of a bill to broaden the warrant requirement for law enforcement access to emails. This after Republicans circulated a bevy of last-minute amendments. Given the number of additions, the final measure may be very different from a House-passed version, and that would complicate the chances of enactment this year. A class-action lawsuit, not arbitration, is what some Fitbit owners want. Plaintiffs in the potential case argue their commission study finds the fitness trackers are not accurate for heartbeat. 
Fitbit has criticized the study's methodology and maintains the owners agreed to terms of service that include mandatory arbitration clauses. And evaporated cane juice or dried cane syrup should be called sugar on food labels. The FDA has issued that guidance after a wave of consumer lawsuits that allege the wording is deceptive and makes food appear healthier than it is. That's today's Bloomberg BNA report. For more on these and other stories, visit BNA.com. 